Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast. Glad you could join me. Got a terrific show lined up for you today. Two guests on tap today. We start with Mike Schmitz, the draft analyst from DraftExpress.com. We're just about a week or so away from the NBA draft. Mike's been attending all these workouts, the agent workouts, the pro days. Uh, He's been everywhere. We'll talk to Mike about what he's seen. We go through Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, some of the guys in the second round. You don't want to miss that. A little bit later on, I check in with Travis Schlink, the new general manager of the Atlanta Hawks. Travis, of course, a former assistant GM with the Golden State Warriors. I talked to Travis about how that experience helped shape him as an executive, and we go through some of the key decisions he's going to have to make as the new GM down in Atlanta. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way to support it. Go over to Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating, post a comment. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, let's go. Joining me now on the pod, one of the best uh, draft analysts in the business, Mike Schmitz. You catch him over at draftexpress.com. It's a great job uh, with the scouting there. Also, will be part of our draft show June 22nd. Never too early, Mike, to start pumping that up. We have uh, a very excited Tom Crean back on set. He's uh, I've talked to him. He's into it. Bobby will be there. Uh, the whole gang, man. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm fired up. I, I actually saw Crean out at the uh, doing the whole circuit. He was at EYBL watching AU hoops. That guy never stopped. He's determined so. to, like, he brings his A game with that analyst stuff. I mean, he's, uh, I remember last year he had the full binder in front of him, just like layers and layers of research on, on everyone you can ask about. I respect that about him. I like that a lot. Yeah, he's a grinder, man. He's a grinder. So it's, it's good to catch up with him. And uh, I'm fired up, man. It's a fun time of year. Yeah. All right. So you've been doing the the, the pro day circuits and, and watching some of these guys. Does there what, what value, if anything, is there in these pro days? Yeah, I think it's good to see the guys, uh, you know, how they perform in front of these teams. It's kind of a weird setting because it's it's quiet. Uh, there's no huge crowd like you're used to at an NBA game. I mean, you can hear a pin drop a lot of times. That's really one-on-o type stuff. They'll go in groups, but there's not a lot of 
two on two, not a lot of three on three. Um, you know, but from our perspective, it's good to talk to the guys. You know, we're able to interview them, kind of see where their head is at. Um, you know, get to know them a little bit more if we haven't already. Uh, so I think that's valuable. And then just seeing how they perform in that type of setting. You know, you have Phil Jackson in the stands, Pat Riley. You know, some cream of the crop. I mean, Magic Johnson, Rob Palenka, all these guys were were there. Um, so to kind of see, you know, how they perform when you know there's pressure in, in kind of an awkward environment is is somewhat telling, I think. But well, overall, I mean, it's it's just another a very very small piece of the puzzle. All right. So the question I get asked the most is just about the you know are there tiers here in this draft? And you know, people ask me at the top, but I'm convinced, and this is largely based on what I hear out of Boston, that, that Fultz is the guy, that Fultz, that Fultz is the most talented player uh, in this draft. What do you think about, about one? Yeah, I think he's the guy to me. Um, I think he's super versatile. He does everything. I think he has star power. You know, there are the questions. Oh, he won nine games at, at Washington. I think some of that's valid. But just his ascension as a player, this is a guy who didn't play varsity basketball until he was a junior. Um, he's a big-time worker. He's, I think he still might be growing. He has size 15 feet. Uh, if you've seen some photos of him, you know, floating around, uh, he's really getting bigger in his upper body. You know, he can score at all three levels. He's, he's kind of your modern lead guard. And, you know, I've, I've been going back and kind of watching some some guys like like Harden and, you know, DeRozan and guys like that when they were in college. And, um, you know, obviously different guys, but he's a little bit ahead of those guys, I think, skill-wise. Um, you know, some those guys got better in the NBA, but uh, I, I think he's the real deal. Okay, so if he's the real deal at one, I mean, how big a gap is there then? Uh, let's just use Lonzo Ball as an example. Lonzo Ball, Markel Fultz. I mean, how, how, how big a gap is there in talent or in, in pro potential in those two guys? I don't think there's a huge gap. Um, you know, for some guys, it's 1A, 1B. Not so much for me, but some scouts, I think, still prefer, you know, Lonzo. I, I would say the majority. Uh, very probably, different players, right? The, very like, different. The way they play. Very different. Um, Lonzo is pass first. You know, uh, really unique player. One of the most unique players I've ever scouted. Not just because of the jump shot, um, just because of the things he does. Like he's he's good off the ball. He's good on the ball. He's instinctual off the ball defensively, but he's not physical on the ball. He's got the funky stroke. Um, he's just a unique prospect. But he really cultivates winning. He there's kind of an aura about him. It's like a hey, come with me. I'll get you twenty points a game type of type of deal that he brings to the table. So. I'm excited for him. You know, I, I just hope that teams don't overthink it with him. Like, mm-hmm. I think L.A. is a no-brainer um, just because of all the things that he brings. Okay, so if, if so, now you go, to, like, to the next level. Like, is, is, it, is it clear to you that there's a one and two there, that that ball is, is, is a significantly better prospect than whatever you can get at three, whether it's Jackson, Tatum, that type of guy? I don't think it's a huge gap. Um, mm-hmm. I like ball quite a bit you know I would take him over those other guys but do you like ball because of the team that he'd be going to or do you think any team would, would you know, anywhere the point guard need would take him yeah I think anywhere I think just his winning mentality the way he shares the ball it, everyone's like oh how is his style gonna fit with you know a team x y and z but to me it's like the way he plays is exactly how NBA teams want to play they want to get up and down they want to move the ball they want to shoot the three like they want the floor to be spaced aside from maybe the fact that he's not a great pick and roll player yet I think that style is exactly what you want. So, to me, he's going to be a stud as well. But, you know, Josh Jackson, really, really good prospect. Uh, Jason Tatum, a very good prospect in his own right. And I think De'Aaron Fox is kind of in that conversation as well. So, to me, it's kind of Fultz at the top. 
I think Lonzo is kind of in a class of his own right right below him. And then I think those three guys, Jackson, Tatum, Fox, to me, are kind of in a group as well. Yeah, I, I don't really – I mean, look – a team is not a team shouldn't be a hundred percent sure on anything, right? Right. Even Boston, like you know, sure you want to get a look at Fultz, but you wait until a couple of days before the draft till you are really. There's no need to to commit to anybody at one or two. There's there's no need to it at all. But you know, everything I've heard all along is that Fultz number one, no question, unless it's traded, which I doubt, uh, and Ball number two, like that right there. I I I'm surprised somewhat to even see some of the reporting that it's up the Lakers wouldn't be interested that Lavar is is this all time issue. I, I'd be. I'd just be stunned if they went any other direction but Lonzo Ball. Yeah, I don't really buy any of that. You yeah. know, I think this time of year, stuff like this always floats up, whether it's, you know, leverage or, you know, trying to get a guy in for a workout or what the deal is. I mean, you don't want to be powerless in this situation. So I think, you know, Palenka and Magic and these guys, they want to make sure that they muddy the water a little bit and, and make it seem like anything is possible. But to me, I think Lonzo is a perfect fit and the best th- prospect. What do you think of Lonzo and D'Angelo Russell? Is that... Uh, is that a, a, a workable backcourt combination, or is that a situation where the Lakers got to move one of them? Russell, most likely. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of it. Um, I think, you know, there are some questions with, with Russell overall in terms of, you know, the defensive intensity and intensity overall, you know, some of the work ethic stuff. I think you want to see kind of an uptick in that. But in terms of fit, I think Russell's really good with Lonzo because Lonzo is really good off the ball because he can spot shoot and he's a ball mover. He's a guy and it never sticks in his hands. Um, and I think that could really bring out the best in Russell in a lot of ways because sometimes he likes to pound it a little bit. You know, he, he plays at his own pace at times. So, like, I think they really complement each other really well, especially because Ball is not quite a great pick-and-roll player yet, um, whereas D'Angelo, I think, is pretty advanced there. So, you know, you're seeing these two-prong guard lineups. I, I think it's a really good fit. I always wonder when, when situations like that come up, and I guess you could say the same thing with Boston with Fultz and Isaiah, like, when a guy is a point guard, does he want to give up that point guard title? I mean, Russell is a point guard. And Russell, coming out of Ohio State, I, I, I mean, he had great court vision. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just no a brilliant passer. Like, he had a lot of turnovers in college, but I thought watching him, a lot of those turnovers was his teammates weren't ready for the passes. Like, they just weren't good, and they, they, they didn't see what he was doing coming. I wonder if he has the uh, the, the mindset to be be okay with, uh, with, with seeding ball responsibility to a guy like Lonzo Ball. Yeah, I think it's an adjustment, you know what I mean? But... I just with the way Lonzo plays, it's so unique. Like he's not a guy who even really handles it a ton in transition. He'll he'll move it up instantly. Like he's moving the ball constantly, and I think Russell's going to like that. Russell might even have the ball in his hands more than Lonzo does, mm-hmm. um, if, if that's a fit there. So you know there are some things with the ego and things like that. But my perspective, like if he's helping him score 18, 20 points a game, you know if you're labeled SG on a box score, yeah. what does that really matter? Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about the, the the three the two three men that are in that three spot kind of, but a guy I've been hearing a lot about the last couple of weeks is Jonathan Isaac and and you know rising up the board so to speak. I don't really know why. I mean, right. you get a good look at him during the season, but he's, he seems to be a name when I ask executives about um, you know who do you like, who's who's moving who's moving in on you, who do you like the most here. His name comes up a lot. I mean, what do you think of of Isaac? There, are you surprised to hear that that he's the team's starting to warm to him maybe a little bit more? I'm not because on paper he is extremely interesting. You know, he's six eleven. Uh, he has this you know standing reach of almost a center. Um, he can guard pretty much one through four. Um, he's, and then when he gets stronger, I think potentially even some of these small ball fives you see he can switch everything. Uh, he shot it fairly well. Um, he can handle a little bit. Like on paper, theoretically, he's a super interesting prospect. He's a late bloomer type. Um, when he was at the early stages of his high school career, he was like a six five, six six two guard, shot up to six eleven. So, 
he really fits, I think, kind of the modern NBA. Um, and, you know, these teams that want to switch everything and, and play fast. Uh, you know, there are some questions about the fact that he hid a little bit at times in college. Um, you know, he, he's not this dominant personality type. Like, he's, he's very willing to just kind of shy away, but he competes, and he's versatile, and that's what teams want nowadays. Okay, so I, I don't know what Philadelphia's going to do. I mean, they, they can go a bunch of different directions. They can go – you know, traditional and take a guy like Fox as the point guard because they don't have one right now, although he's not the shooter that, that they probably need. They could take one of these two, Jackson-Tatum combination at that three spot. They could trade out. I mean, Brian Colangelo wants to win, and, you know, I, I think he'd like to get to the playoffs next year uh, if at all possible. But specifically with, with Jackson and Tatum, um, what was your opinion about the two during the season? Has it changed at all during these draft process? Has somebody, has one of those two separated himself at all to you? Not so much for me uh, anything changed. I've always kind of preferred, at least throughout the year, progressively preferred Josh uh, to Jason. You know, I think they're both tremendous, tremendous prospects. I just kind of like his competitive fire a little bit more. Um, I like that he can play out of a ball screen a little bit better. He's a really good passer. Uh, the shooting is going to be the key for him. You know, he didn't shoot it well from the line. He kind of borders this intense yet crazy, undisciplined, you know, he walks that fine line quite a bit. Um, but I think when channeled correctly, there's there's something about him in terms of having kind of like a Draymond type of mentality. He's not that type of player completely, but like an ultra role player who's going to pass, who's going to defend, who's going to handle the ball. Like, I, I think he's going to maximize his potential. Um, and th- there's some raw upside there. I, I really like Tatum. I think he's going to be a long time NBA starter, potential all star who can score in isolation situations. There's a lot of value in that. Um, but I think to me, you know, Josh is just a, just a notch above. So the, but they're different type of players. Very different. Very different. Very is different. there, is there one now knowing what you know about who Philadelphia has and you've scouted these guys closer to, I mean, they've just been in the league about a year and a half, most of them, but Embiid, Sarek, Ben Simmons, we haven't seen play full time yet. If they were going to take one of those two, three men, is there one that you think would fit in alongside those guys better? I think Josh would probably fit in a little bit better. Um, to me, Jason is a little more of a like a mid-post isolation guy. I think it could be a little bit crowded. Um, and he hasn't quite proven that he's a consistent you know, stretch to three. I also think his best minutes are probably going to come at the four in the NBA. Sure, maybe he's going to start at the three. But I think in these small ball lineups, when he can slide up to the four, that's when he's going to have his biggest advantage. Whereas to me, Josh is more of a, a two-three. Um, I like that he's probably a bit, little bit better of a passer little bit better of a ball handler at this stage um so they could kind of use him in in that role as well uh there's a lot of size down there obviously with you know Embiid, Sarich, Simmons um I, I just think Jackson kind of opens things up a little bit more but he has to prove himself as a shooter that's the key I was watching uh I think it was Gavoni that posted the video at the time but uh De'Aaron Fox at his pro day looked like he was making shots I mean I know it's one on zero and he's just shooting shots from beyond three but I mean that was the biggest question I had about him would he be able to consistently make shots what's your sense of of his jump shot looking at it and uh can you see him developing into a a, at least a solid three-point shooter i think absolutely he will um i I definitely think that his work ethic and his mentality he's going to maximize his potential uh he's a phenomenal kid he's a big-time worker he's a hoops junkie uh he he has all the right makeup completely and in terms of his shot i think it's fine i've always thought the mechanics are really good, honestly. Um, it's just a matter of consistency, reps, confidence. You know, in high school, he's a guy who shot it fairly well. I mean, he wasn't a non-shooter. Like, for comparison, he and Dennis Smith were pretty similar level shooters coming into college. Dennis shot about 36% from three. You know, De'Aaron didn't shoot it all that well. But it's a small sample size. 
Uh, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, a high school game, he had 50 points and hit 10 threes. So, like, this is the guys who can't, you know, are non-shooters don't do that. So he's going to progress there. You know, the casual fan, and I'm one of them when it comes to this stuff, is, you know, looks at that game that Kentucky played against UCLA and said, well, De'Aaron Fox beat the shit out of uh, out of Lonzo Ball in that game. Why shouldn't we be talking about De'Aaron Fox on Lonzo Ball's level? Why isn't De'Aaron considered maybe on that level? I think he just has some holes he has to address. You know, shooting the ball consistently, obviously, like we talked about, sure, you believe in it long term, but the NBA line is, it's an adjustment for these guys. I think that's part of it. Um, I also think playing the point guard position, you know, naturally for him is still a learning curve. Um, he's good in ball screens. He can get to the rim. He's athletic, but gets a little bit sped up at times. So I think he's got to get better there. Uh, to me, Lonzo just kind of checks all the boxes. He can shoot. He can pass. He has size. He has length. He has great defensive instincts. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that game was telling. And I think De'Aaron has really helped himself through this process. People are seeing the type of kid he is. You know, he's the only really top prospect to go to the combine for an elongated period of time. He's doing all these workouts. He's willing to work out against anybody. Um, so I think teams really like that about him, and he's probably the best athlete in the draft in terms of functional athleticism. I think. Now, you mentioned Dennis Smith, and we could just basically talk point guards for this entire draft because yeah, that's how deep how it is. is. Um, the one chatter I've heard about him is that teams love his talent, maturity issues, maybe some stuff there that um, that, that might make him fall uh, a little bit. What can you tell me about what you know his kind of makeup and, and what people say about him? Yeah, I think Dennis, you know, I think he's a good kid. I think he wants to be good. Um, the situation at NC State was very dysfunctional, I think, yep. overall. Um, he's a little bit of a lone wolf, I think, at times. Um, and, and when, you know, things weren't great there, uh, you know, it could have come off as a little bit selfish. He's out there trying to get his just kind of as a pit stop to get to the NBA. You know, similar things that people kind of said about Ben Simmons mm -hmm. um, at LSU. I went down there for, you know, practice and game and, um, I think you could kind of see that there was a little bit of a, d a division there, but at the same time, the staff got fired midseason and they kept him on, you know, mm -hmm. it's just kind of an awkward environment. So I think for him, it's, you know, continuing to show that he can do things that impact winning. Uh, I think if you put him on, you know, the Knicks um, tomorrow, he could go get you, you know, 20. Um, yeah, but you have to play the triangle. Yeah. You have to yeah, stick him true. into maybe, the triangle. <laughs> that's then... true. That's true. If they let him roam from that, uh, maybe he'd have a chance <laughs> at it, but yeah, I think he's a really talented guy. He's just got to lock in defensively. He he really struggled there in terms of defensive intensity. Uh, at times, didn't really look like he wanted to be there. So I think continuing to to bring it, uh, because I've seen that guy at the high school level just as a killer. Like, he had his moments where he was tough as nails. Um, so if he can recapture that with his explosiveness, physicality, uh, ability to play out of ball screens, you know, he has a high upside. So I mentioned you have been at these these pro days, and you know you're seeing a lot of guys, not just the top prospects there. Who's created some of the buzz, both with what you've seen and, and what you're hearing people talk about? Yeah, I think De'Aaron helped himself. Uh, a guy I really like who I think helped himself is Shemi Ojale um, at SMU. He's a Duke transfer, Nigerian parent-born family. Um, just really, really physical. You know, some of these scouts will tell you, like, hey, we could have used a guy like him in the playoffs, just looking for a guy who's kind of a 3-4 who can defend, a, you know, at least try to defend a LeBron, uh, put a body on these guys, 240 pounds, 5% body fat. Um, at this pro day in L.A. with Drew Hanlon, he shot the ball really, really well. I think teams were able to kind of talk to him a little bit and see, you know, what type of kid he is. He's a phenomenal guy, laser focus. Um, so to me, he's a guy who's really helped himself. I think John Collins, through this process, people are seeing, you know, how explosive he is. You see kind of how Marquise Chris rose last year. 
you could kind of see him in a similar mold. And then Luke Kennard, I think, is one guy as well uh, who just torched the Nets um, in, in front of all those big names I mentioned. Okay, on the flip side of that, is there anybody that's you know sort of starting to slide a little bit based on what they're doing or not doing? Uh, not so much based on the workouts, I don't think. You know, there are some guys who maybe were seen as higher picks at one point, maybe like an Ivan Rab, you know, is a guy who, if he would have come out last year, maybe was getting top 10 looks. Um, I think given how many bigs are in this draft, you look down the line and you say, man, this is a guy who could potentially go in the early 30s now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think guys like that who maybe aren't the sexy prospect, you know, who aren't going to look amazing in workouts, you know, catching lobs above the rim, sprinting the floor, things like that. Um, but, there, man, there are a lot of bigs in this draft. So yeah. you're going to see some of these guys, you know, him, Justin Patton, where does Jared Allen go? Where does um, Harry Giles with, with the injury stuff? I mean, there's a lot of questions with those guys. Harry Giles fascinates me because he, he didn't have a great year. A lot of that was due with injury. But you go back and look at some of his old high school tape. I mean, that guy could play, man. Like, yeah. he's, he's going to go somewhere in the 20s, and he'd be exactly – I mean, if you're like a team like the Lakers with a second first-round pick, and if Harry Giles, for some reason, is there, I don't think he's going to be there at 27, but if he is there at 27, that's the kind of guy I would snap up because I, that, that's a, a high upside, you know, low-risk kind of guy. Absolutely. Coming out of high, I mean, we had him, you know, in the top five, yeah. I think, coming into the year, or not, you know, before all the injury stuff. So, yeah, I mean, he kind of fits today's NBA, not in terms of the ultra-skill space in the floor guy, but in terms of being the guy who can switch everything. He has great feet. He's super long. Um, he runs the floor. He can catch lobs. So it's it's regaining that athleticism for him. I mean, anytime you you deal with it in both knees, uh, I think that's tough to come back from. So mm-hmm. you're, you're going to have to clear all that stuff. But like you said, I, it's hard to get a guy you know with that type of upside late in the 20s. So I think a team that is confident in their medical staff and confident in their intel uh, will probably take a chance on him. I was watching uh, more of those videos, and I saw Jason Hart's workout. And he was making shots. Like, I know teams are always scared of the older guy. Like, you're the ripe age of, what, like 22? Whatever. Like, you're suddenly dead. You can't play uh, anymore. But he was making shots out there. Did he, did he do anything for himself? Is he uh, put himself on somebody's radar there? I think a little bit. I think, you know, teams know him so well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been around so long. You know, big school, winning pedigree. Um, it was funny. Right after the workout, he even gave, like, a little speech. You know, thank you for coming out. I really appreciate it. Like, Guys don't normally do that, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I think with his character and the type of guy he is, with his winning pedigree and the fact that, you know, sometimes he makes enough shots to make you wonder this could be a consistent thing, I think stretching it to the NBA 3 is still going to be a little bit of a transition for him. But, um, you know, I think just with his character and, and the things I said before, there's a chance he could potentially be one of the late first type of guys. But for me, he's probably a second-round pick. It's funny how these these guys are such stars in the college ranks. I was reading some story. What was it like Archie Diakonu versus uh, uh, who's the kid from North Carolina? The, Chris Jenkins. Yeah, like playing in the D League together. Like they went from or, or against each other. They went from being on the the biggest stage in the biggest game ever, and now they're playing in like Sioux Falls or something like that. I mean, it's crazy how. Uh, you know, those moments are fleeting, man. These guys, they get out of school, and that's why more kids should just stay in school. Unless you're 100% sure you're making the NBA, do what yeah. Jason Hart did, do what some of these other guys did, and stay for as long as possible. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, even guys like, you know, Tyler Dorsey, who yeah. murdered the NCAA tournament, was unbelievable. It's still not a lock that he's going to get drafted, you mm-hmm. know. So um, it really is so much about, you know, the the prototype and, and fitting a role and the size and the length and, and all those things teams look for. Tell me about Zach Collins here. He came on my radio show earlier, and I like him. He's he's well-spoken. Um, you know, I d- didn't put up huge numbers mm-hmm. last year. He kind of looks to me like between like a four and a five. Yep. Um, you know, he's, he's probably going to be a lottery pick, but um, what what's his potential? Why are teams drafting him? Yeah, I think he's 
very, very interesting because, one, he can protect the rim. You know, he blocked over four shots, I think, for 40 minutes. One of the best rates um, in our whole mock draft, top 100. Um, he can move his feet. You know, he can switch ball screens. And he has touch around the rim. He's a good athlete. And he's should be able to stretch it to NBA 3 eventually, I think. Um, so that's a lot of versatility there at the five, a guy who can play some four as well, I think, in traditional lineups, probably more of a five. Um, for him, it's being able to play consistent, consistently, I think, without fouling. Um, you know, it's funny. He's always kind of been like— Championship game. Will, right, exactly. <laughs> that's an evidence of that. Yeah, and, he, you know, he tends to lose his cool a little bit. Uh, he just He's kind of just a—like you said, he's a great kid, mm-hmm. but just has a lot of stress. Uh, you know, he, he gets very— um, just I sped up at times. I think he puts a lot of pressure on himself. So I think easing back and, and getting some more experience is going to be important for him because he he really played uh, you know third wheel to yeah. a couple guys in high school even too though he was to behind Chase Jeter behind um, Steven Zimmerman. So he's always has never really been in a feature role. Um, but the ability to play the four or the five, protect the rim, uh, and potentially switch screens, there's a lot of intrigue there. That's interesting you say that, that, that he can get that three-point shot going because we are kind of in that stretch five era mm-hmm. where if you're a close to seven-footer and you can make threes, you're you're much more valuable than you ever were uh, before. My question with Collins when I watch him is is how big can he get? Mm-hmm. I mean, how because he's kind of a skinny kid, and, and I just wonder how much bulk he's going to be able to put on to play those, those four or five slots. Yeah, I think with the way the league is going, you know, I think he'll be okay. He needs to get a little bit more physical defensively you know he, he had a little bit of a reputation in high school of being somewhat soft um but you know i think his frame is fine i think upper body lower body he's gonna fill out okay mm-hmm. and, and you know i mean like guys like thon maker are playing the five yeah you know so it's just the game is changing um maybe against your traditional mark gasol and guys like that he's gonna struggle a little bit but i think physically he'll be okay only a handful of guys that play as physical like that anymore I mean, right the game is totally uh evolved um you know, I, I remember a few, the year before Porzingis was drafted in the top five, he was thinking about coming out, and he would have been, I think, in the 20s, like somewhere in, in that range. Uh, fortunately for him, he stayed in, and unfortunately some of the teams that wanted to draft him in the 20s, he, he pulled out. But, you know, when you look at the international guys, is there that kind of player? Is there that guy that's going to get drafted 20s, second round, that you're really high on? There's a guy, actually another Latvian, um, who's a friend of Porzingis. Hey, there we go. Yeah, so he he's naturally getting these comparisons. Knicks should draft him. Yeah, draft exactly. a friend of Porzingis. Yeah, Andrzej Pasechniks. He's a seven foot three. Wow. Um, moves really, really well. Uh, can shoot the three a little bit. Nowhere near the level of Kristaps. Uh, he's got to get stronger. He's he was playing out in Spain in Gran Canaria. Um, and he's really, really improved the last couple of years. So, I mean, we were at his pro day, and I think teams walked away really impressed just seeing a 7'3 guy, you know, who's not bow-legged or knock-kneed, who can really move, good hands, nice touch. So, you know, I think he's a little bit sick of the Kristaps Porz- uh, Porzingis comparisons. He told us even, you know, straight to our face, like, hey, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the, <laughs> of the old uh, comparison anymore, but I know they talk, and, and Kristaps has been helping him through the process. So, He'll be, he's one of the more interesting uh, international prospects this year, I think. Anybody else in that, not even maybe the second or late, late first or second, but you're, I know the, the I'm not even going to try to pronounce Frank's last name, in the top 10 there. Um, is he the best international player in this draft? I think he's the most interesting for sure. It's a pretty weak international class overall, I would say, especially compared to last year when there were so many guys. Um, but he's the most interesting to me just because he's six six with a seven foot wingspan. He's really smart. Um, he defends. I think he'll defend up to three positions. Not quite a pure point guard yet, uh, but improved shooter. He killed the under-18s you know, this past summer. So 
to me, he's a lottery pick type of guy. Um, it's probably going to need, you know, to be brought on a little bit slowly. Uh, it didn't really have a, a huge role at the, at the pro level. Still impressive the minutes he was playing. But um, I think he's kind of the marquee guy. Not a star to me. Um, probably a, a high-level role type of guy. Um, but the most interesting international prospect. Does that make it hard to to sort of scout? Them? I mean, lo- those European teams, man. If you're not if you're not going to be a part of their future, they're not going to do anything to help you. Like they're, I mean, they're not going to help develop you if you're just going to go. And I mean, Ricky Rubio ran into that problem when he was a pro in his on his Spanish team, and I've seen others. I mean, how big a problem is that for from a scouting perspective to like see a guy know he's got like great talent, but he's buried on the bench because you know these teams, and I, and I can understand it, they don't want to to invest in them. Yeah, it can be really tough. I mean, scouts will fly across the world to see some guy and he plays three minutes or doesn't play at all. So that's where I think it's really beneficial to see them at the FIBA youth level, like we're able to do, you know, under 18s, under 16s, under 17s, things like that really help the evaluation process. I was lucky enough to go see him um, this year in Serbia. I went out and saw Strasbourg play Megalex, and they actually started him at point guard. So <laughs> it was, uh, and, you know, there are a lot of scouts in, in attendance to that one as well, a couple of GMs. Um, so, you know, it was, I was lucky there, but a lot of times that is not the case. Is this just, in your opinion, an off year for the, the European slash international market or, um, is this, could this be a couple of years going? Yeah, I think it's, it's just a bit of an off year. You know, there's so many guys uh, coming soon, you know, I, I, and honestly, we could look in five years and say, you know, great. It was a great year. Yeah. You know, Hell, that, Marcus Gasol was like 43rd his year, right? Right. Like, exactly. I, I think there are some interesting guys still. Like we said, we talked about Pesetchniks. There's a kid, Jonathan John, a uh, French kid, 7273. Uh, he was at the combine. He's a really interesting player. I think he's 207 pounds. So he's going to need some time. Enter the Frederick Weiss comparisons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, one you don't want. He's, yeah. I think he's a guy who's going to be interesting, in, you know, three, four years. So we could look back and say, you know, it was a solid crop. What did you think, and, and this is just comes back to a different guy, that Markinen there, I mean, another guy, you mentioned Porzingis, got me thinking about those seven-footers that yep. shoot threes. I mean, this guy seems like another one of those types of prospects. I mean, is he, how, how would you compare him to a Porzingis type? Yeah, I think he's somewhat similar just in, in how he shoots it. You know, he, he, I think he's a better shooter than than Chris Tapps. He's probably the best shooter in the draft, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, but he's not nowhere, you know, he's nowhere near as long. Um, he's not as bouncy. Um, he's just not as rangy. He's not a guy who's going to protect the rim. You know, Kristaps, I think, adds a lot of value there. Uh, for him, you know, he's more in the – I mean, he's not Dirk Nowitzki, but, like, I think if he goes to Dallas, that becomes a really, really interesting storyline. I think that's an option mm-hmm. there, you know, at nine for them. Um, he's more of a offensive guy all the way. I think he's going to need to get better defensively. But I think you can do a lot of things with him that maybe we didn't see at Arizona. Like, he's a guy at seven feet who can sprint off of screens – they played. He can even play out of a ball screen a little bit. Um, so I think with NBA spacing, moving him around a lot, his ability to shoot in different ways, super valuable. There are teams that are out there right now that I know want to get into the first round. At the same time, you have Portland, which is trying to move uh, one of its picks. Is this? Do you look at this this first round as the type of first round you really want to get into because of the talent, or is moving out of it like we've seen teams do in the past the better way to go? I think there's some depth to it, to be honest. I mean, I think after 10, you know, you say, okay, maybe there's not, you know, an all-star, even a great starter. But I think you can get really good role players, you know, at the back end of the first round, um, even into the second round. You know, a guy like, like I said, Shemi Ojale, I think a guy like that is really interesting. You know, a guy like Jared Allen, I think he'll probably go, you know, top 15, 16, but he's interesting. The Ike Anibogu kid from UCLA, you know, he's maybe a top 20 guy. 
Um, I, I think there are some players, you, you know, you want to be in that 20 to 30 range um, in this draft. The, um, you know, it's, it's like we said, it's obviously a point guard heavy draft at the top with some star. I mean, how, how confident are you in that, that, you know, let's say three of the five that you guys at DX have inside the top 10 turn into, you know, quality NBA players? How good are these point guards? Are these five really, if you include uh, Frank there uh, on that list? I think really good. I think Fultz, Ball, and Fox are all going to be tremendous players, you know, all-star type players, I think. Is Fultz um, to you a, a don't trade? Is it in your mind, is that like a you can't deal that? No for me, yeah. yeah. For me, yeah. I mean, it's just hard to find a guy like that, man. Like 6'5", he's going to be 200. He's probably going to play at 215, 220 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, he can play some three even, I think, in today's NBA. So a guy who can play almost one through three, can handle the ball, can shoot, really creative passer, like – I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. You know, a lot of people haven't really seen him just because, you know, Washington was such a bad team and um, there's no one, you know, there's no one else on that team that got you really excited. And he shut it down at the end of the year. They didn't play in the NCAA tournament. Second year in a row, the potential number one pick will have just basically shut it down. Yeah, exactly. So I think the best is yet to come for him. And like I said, he was such a late bloomer that like he's, his improvement has just been rapid, like throughout um and and i'm excited to see what he becomes he, he's he's the number one guy to me people in boston are they're going to be talking about this all summer if it turns out he's number one can he play alongside isaiah thomas how does that dynamic work how do you see that potentially working i say no problem honestly really? i think no, no problem no ifs and like he's he's more of a lead guard you know what i mean um and i think isaiah can operate off the ball a little bit as well too in like quick hitting actions he can catch and shoot a little bit he's obviously good going to the rim but i think you want multiple ball handlers in today's nba um and i think the fact that fultz can play off the ball and the fact that he can defend twos and threes you know theoretically i mean he's got to up his intensity on that end but the fact that he has the size to guard a two a guard a three and the ability to guard a one as well um you know, I, th- I think it's going to fit just fine. Like, I, I want two ball handlers on my team, and two if not more. So you think he can get even bigger than he is right now? I mean, what's he, 6'5", right now, something like that? Yeah, I just it's just crazy, his trajectory. He was six foot one. Mm. you know, when he was, like, 16, 17, um, continued to grow, continued to grow. Even, like, throughout Washington, I'm like, man, is this guy, did he add another half inch or two? Like, he's he's constantly growing, constantly growing his game. Um I don't know, man. He's just there's something about that kid and just how he's evolved. Like he, he was he was really a nobody in a lot of ways. Dematha is a really big program. Um, you know, obviously playing JV there is different than you know playing JV in my hometown. But mm-hmm. um, there's there's just something about his trajectory and and how he's grown. It's it's I think it's going to be a special story as well. That's the thing too. Like we're past the days of like the two guard being Jordan Kobe. Like it's more like Lillard and McCollum mm-hmm. out there exactly. where you do have these, these kind of two ball handlers. And my, my big question coming in was more of like, is he going to get physically worn down defending twos? Cause you don't want that. You don't want, you don't want him to be physically worn down. But if, if he's just, if, if you think you think he's capable of doing that on a, a regular basis, cause that's his, that's his, I mean, Isaiah there is going to have to do it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think, it's more so getting his mindset right. You know, physically, I think you can do it no problem. You know, he's 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan. I think mm-hmm. that's great size to guard most twos in the NBA, if not all of them. Um, it's just having that mentality. He's always kind of floated on that end. And that's why I think Boston is such a great fit for him because you have all these guys who are defense-first guys. You have a guy like Brad Stevens. You have a team that wants to win now. You're going to be held accountable. 
like if he were to go, you know, to a, another situation where he's like if he went to New York, you know, and he's the ultimate ball handler, he's the guy, everything's running through him. They're losing. He can just float. Like his career, you know, defensively, maybe he's always a minus. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that he's able to go and, and be a part of winning, uh, you know, if they do take him, um, guys like Marcus Smart, seeing these Avery Bradley, seeing them compete every day, I think it's it's a dream scenario for him. What did you think of? And then you probably didn't have watch a ton of his games, but uh, you know, Jalen Brown went third overall. What were your expectations of him, and 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 how did that match up with what he did in his first year? I think it was great. I, I I tried to you know tune in as much as I could and just seeing him play a role and and defend these guys, yeah. defend LeBron at times. You know, I think he shot it fairly well too. Um, so I was excited. We were always really high on Jalen. You know, coming into the year at Cal, uh, I think we had him as high as two at, at one point. So like he was a legitimate number one candidate. I thought at times before the year started. Um, I think the main lesson from that is just that college is such a small sample size is one. And two, the situation is so important. Like, they had no space. You know, they played two traditional bigs and a guy who's not a great shooter and a non-shooting point guard. Uh, you know, like, there's no space. And, and Jalen doesn't naturally have a tremendous feel for the game. So mm-hmm. I think there was just no room for him to operate. in the three-point line, you know, there's not as much space. So I think you really have to take those things into account when scouting, and he's a good example of that. I'm excited about him, man, because I, I think he's going to fill out. I think he's going to get naturally bigger, and, and, and that's going to help him like exponentially. I think he got more and more comfortable attacking the rim almost every single month in the NBA season, and I'm optimistic that the jump shot's going to come around. I mean, yep. that's, that's the big key right there. If he can knock, he's so athletic that yep. if he can show he's a threat, like a 35 to 38% from three threat, Every single night, he is going to be dangerous because I think he has all the tools. I mean, the Celtics—they talk about him in, in glowingly. They—they they believe he is a franchise small forward uh, moving forward. I think they should too, you know. And even if he doesn't turn into being, you know, a Paul George type of guy, a guy who's your go-to guy, like it's so hard to find these guys. These six-six, six-seven guys with seven-foot wingspan—that he's going to be two hundred, you know, what thirty-plus pounds, no problem. Who can slide up to the four? guard multiple positions like he's exactly what you want um so i think you know a lot of people you know some of us included were quick to judge you know boston with that pick mm-hmm. just because you know he didn't have a great year and how and, many people there wanted chris dunn they yeah were clamoring for chris dunn a lot of guys not not looking like that would have been exactly. the right call right now exactly no jalen's young he has a bright future he knows he, he's a confident kid i mean he knows he belongs and i think you saw that at times this year um, I think they have a lot to be excited about there. All right, quickly, before I let you go, wet Boston's a- appetite a little bit more. I don't know how much you've seen of him yet, but this Michael Porter kid from next year, I mean, we're, they're looking ahead out there because I still don't see any team worse than Brooklyn next year. And they get that pick outright. I mean, wh- what do you what do you know at this point of, of Michael Porter headed to Missouri, right? Is yep, that, yeah. yep, yeah. Uh, big, big-time talent. Really fits into what the league is evolving into, I think. You know, he's about 6'10", maybe even 6'11 now. Uh, really fluid athlete, plays above the rim, uh, can shoot it, can handle it. I mean, there they really aren't a lot of holes in his game. I think he's going to, uh, you know, play the th- some three, but have a lot of success at the four. I think he's big enough to do that in kind of this perimeter-oriented role. But, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be a nightmare to guard. Um, and he's looking like right now, you know, the the number one guy. We went out and saw Luka Doncic. He you know, he's a really interesting prospect as well, but I, I think Porter's probably has the edge on him right now. What do you think? It's another guy that <laughs> and it could be another number one pick going to a non traditional NBA school where, you know, you go into Missouri versus, you know, at Ben Simmons at LSU, uh, Fultz up at Washington. I mean, 
should we read anything to these guys, these great players going to schools that aren't national Kentucky Duke national championship contenders? Uh, I think there's something to it. You know, guys kind of wanting their own limelight. You know, I think each situation oh, is different. Yeah. You know, like Uncle Dan Patrick. For, right. Uh, for yeah. Yeah. Year, yeah. Each situation is different. You know, like Ben Simmons' situation was unique. I think yeah. Fultz, you know, they were on him really early. He he wasn't much at the time. He stayed loyal. So, but, you know, I think there is some value for these guys in kind of having their own show and being able to do their thing. I'm from Boston. They're going to be insufferable if they get one again. If they get if they get one again, that goes down as like the greatest trade ever in any sport. No like doubt. Two consecutive number ones plus Jalen Brown, who's almost a number one. That would be that life, would be something. Life is good for these guys, man. They were I saw, you know, Danny Ainge, all these guys were on the circuit out here and they didn't oh, look life is too great unhappy. For Danny so. Oh, Danny, big yeah. smile on his face. Yeah. Million options Crushing out there. It. He's already probably Got Brad texting Gordon Haywood, saying like a, <laughs> or prepare at least preparing the Gordon Haywood presentation, and from then it's uh, it's it's all it's all good for them. Mike, thanks for uh, dropping by the studio here. We'll see you June twenty second in New York draft show six thirty Eastern time. Mike will be there. Tom Crean will be there. Woj Gavoni, the whole gang is going to be in New York City. Going to be a lot of fun, man. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to it. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Support for the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Mannix, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Joining me on the pod now, Travis Schlink, the new general manager of the Atlanta Hawks. Travis, thanks for joining me, and uh, congratulations on the new job. No problem, man. I appreciate it. We're talking on the morning after your former team, uh, Golden State, clinched the uh, the NBA title. Not a bad way, I guess, for you to uh, officially end your career there, huh? Uh, if you're going to go out, that's the best way to go out. I suppose I'm uh, just a little disappointed I wasn't there to have all the fun with everybody last night. I'm sure they had, but we have pressing matters to get to here in Atlanta. I want to ask you about this past year for you uh, in Golden State. When the Warriors signed Kevin Durant, a lot of people thought that this outcome was inevitable. Did you? Uh, as far as winning the championship? Yeah. Um. I wouldn't say inevitable. You know, when you're in the middle of it, you're always worried about uh, everything else. You know, the Spurs, obviously, year in, year out are there. And, you know, Kawhi's injury was huge uh, for us versus them. You know, in game one, they had a huge lead. I think every game we played the Spurs this year uh, before the playoffs, they had a 20-point lead. So inevitable is not how I would describe it. But obviously, we felt like we'd, we'd be in the mix when you talk about winning a championship for sure. If there was one concern organizationally about adding a player like Kevin Durant, what was it? You know, I don't know that there was concern. I think you know, if if he was going to come, we were going to we were going to go 
you know, dive in head first with him. But anytime, you know, you talk about, you know, blending personalities, you know, there, there's a little hesitation there. The argument could have been made coming off the year before when we won 63 games and, you know, won a championship and lost in game seven, you know, down to the last minute. I mean, you could make the argument, you know, why would you mess with that team? But again, when you talk about a guy of Kevin's skill level and then really his character, it was a pretty easy decision. So I want to ask you, Travis, about your career track. I mean, you were obviously with the Warriors for a long time. Your early years were divided between coaching and working in front offices. When did you make the decision to follow that executive track? Uh, when, uh, Larry Riley became the general manager of Golden State in 2009, I suppose it was the year. Um, he asked me to come to the front office with him and be his director of player personnel. And at the time, my first daughter had just been born. And, you know, historically, there's more job security in the front office than in the coaching ranks. So that, that kind of made the decision for me there. <laughs> Uh, you know, early on, your strongest influences in terms of, of being an executive, who would you say they were? Well, Larry, Larry Riley was, you know, was the GM. He, he was a big influence at the time. Don Nelson was our head coach. So, you know, obviously I had an influence from him as well. Um, and then moving forward, you know, Bob, Bob really, Bob, I really learned a lot from Bob and just how Bob handles people's his relationship with people you know i hadn't really been exposed to that side of the business and you know bob's upbringing in the agent world where you know you need those relationships with everybody that that's what i really learned from bob so when you look going back to, to larry riley and don nelson give me some of the things that you did take from them in terms of uh, of the best way to build a, a successful team that goes those guys really goes back to my coaching side too and then that's when you're just blending personalities you know you're looking for talent but also character you know as you know you've been around the nba longer than i have if you've got a group of good guys that get along because these guys are around each other more than around their family so you have to have guys that are high character easy to get around with if you've got a guy that nobody likes or just sucks the nhl out of the room it's really hard to overcome Don Nelson, I mean, that's a different kind of team Don Nelson was trying to build back in those days. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, a bit of the mad scientist for sure. He uh, he kept it loose. Uh, he had his own style, which was you know different than a lot of the other guys around, and he, he was going to try to muck up the game for sure. Tell me a little bit more about what you, when, when Bob comes in and, and you start working with him and you spend all those years working underneath, we're talking Bob Myers, of course, the, the GM, uh, with the uh, the Warriors now. What are some of the things that you, you mentioned, the agent side of it, how he came in, brought that perspective. What are some of the things you took from him that, that influenced you now? Well, like I just said, it, it's just the personality, Bob's ability to get along with anyone. You could put Bob in a room in any corporation in America and people are going to like him. And, and just realizing how important that is, you know, there's a lot of people in this business who who don't operate like that. I'm sure that you've been around or had to interview, but at some level, those guys can get away with that if they're successful, but it just makes everything easier. If you can get along with people, make people feel comfortable and make them feel a part of it. Do you have a general philosophy on the best way to successfully kind of build a team? Well, I mean, I ha I have the philosophy that, that we had in Golden State, so we're going to see if it works here. <laughs> um, 
I think, you know, when we look at building the team, characteristics that we're going to certainly look at are, from the athletic standpoint are going to be the player's length, the player's skill level, uh, their athleticism, and then the character piece is going to be a huge part of it. But you also, you also have to get a little bit lucky. You know, the draft's not an exact science. Uh, you need guys to, you know, maybe slip through the cracks uh, and hope teams, you know, make mistakes, quite frankly. Look at Steph Curry. You know, there were two point guards drafted by the same team in front of us. Uh, that's what allowed Steph to fall to Golden State. So you need, you need to get a little luck in there as well. Yeah, and even Clay Thompson, right? I think he was, what, 10th overall when he was drafted. Yeah, he was 11th, you know, Draymond Green, 35th. I mean, shoot, if people say that we had to figure it out in Golden State, we had two picks before we put chose Draymond, and he's turned out to arguably be the best player of the group. So we weren't exactly <laughs> rocket scientists either there. So, so you obviously take over a roster that's uh, a good roster. The Hawks were in the playoffs this past year. Um, some talented players there, young and a little bit older. Give me kind of your overview of the state of the roster and the direction you at least are thinking early on you want to go. Yeah, listen, this team's been in the playoffs uh, 10 years in a row. So they've been successful. Now, other than the one trip to the conference finals, they haven't you know, had deep runs. But being in the playoffs 10 years in a row, that, that's a great accomplishment. The roster has a lot of free agents, as you know. You know, mm-hmm. They've got seven guys under contract next year, so half the team are free agents. You know, Paul Millsap, the four-time All-Star, he's a free agent, unrestricted. So he's going to have you know, a lot of suitors out there. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably the next guy on the free agent. He's restricted, so we have a little, a little more um, opportunity to keep him. But it, it, it's a big summer uh, for the Hawks. You know, we have three draft picks in this year's draft at nineteen, thirty-one, and, and then sixty. And then when you look out further, we have eleven draft picks over the next couple of years. So we've got a lot of assets accumulated here. I think with the roster, the most important thing and what we're able to do at Golden State is we stayed away from bad contracts. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, every player in the league has a different value. And what you can't get is guys on contracts where they don't have value or you can't make good deals with them if the opportunity arises. So when you look at the Golden State roster, I mean, we've been very fortunate not to get locked into bad contracts. And I think that's what we need to do here in Atlanta as well, is to make sure that we sign guys to good contracts so we're able to move them if we need to. Do you see this? this you're right about the, the, the numbers there. They have been in the playoffs a lot, a very consistent playoff team over the years, but those deep runs have kind of eluded them uh, for, for the large part. Do you see this as a team that needs – you know, players added on to it, or do you see this as kind of a deconstruction to rebuild type of job? No, what I've uh, maintained fairly consistency is I, I, I think that you can maintain competitiveness, um, but also maintain your flexibility. And for us, you know, those flex that flexibility is having guys on deals that are movable, and you know. C- to continue to accumulate the assets that they have in the draft. You know, the more swings you have at the draft, you know, the better chance you're going to have to get a, get a good player that can become one of your foundation pieces. So let's talk about the draft for, for a second because you have those picks, 19 and 31, uh, the, the highest of the highest two of them. I mean, what type of players are, are you specifically kind of looking for that, that might fit the way you, you want to build this team? Well, again, you know, character is going to be a huge factor in it. You know, we, we're going to have we're going to have high character guys, guys that want to show up, um, 
and work every day. As you know, the NBA, to be successful, you have to be extremely self-motivated because these guys have a lot of free time, and you want guys that want to be in the gym working all the time. So that's going to be one of the, the first things that we look at, and then it's going to be the athletic part. When you look at the game last night, you know, on the floor, you've got all these six, seven, six, eight, six, nine guys, long, athletic, skilled, you know, that that's kind of the way the wave of the future, um, I think, in the league, the way things are going. Uh, so those, those are the guys that we're going to take a long, hard look at. How has your early relationship been with Mike Budenholzer? Did you have any relationship with him before? And, and, and what have your conversations been like up until this point? Mike and I um, were really acquaintances before this. You know, we worked, you know, Gergovich's camps together in the summer and things of that nature. And obviously we're friendly when, you know, I was in Golden State and he was in uh, San Antonio. But we, did, we weren't friends by any stretch of the imagination. So that was one of the first things when I, when I got the job here is to sit down with Coach Bud and spend a lot of time with him and, you know, to really get to know him, you know, exchanging philosophies, exchanging, you know, thoughts on the organization and how to run it. Um, listen, uh, this, is a, this is a partnership with Bud and I. You know, I, I'm certainly not successful unless Bud's successful and Bud's not successful unless, you know, I do a good job of getting players. So this is, this is the way I view it. He and I working together to try to get the Hawks to the next level. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting there, Travis. I mean, your situation is unique. I mean, you're, you're taking over a team with the previous administration still there. It just usually doesn't happen when yeah. a new general manager comes in. They're just in different types of roles. I mean, have you, what's your understanding of, of, of how things operate there? I mean, I guess have you been told that, you know, sort of the buck stops with you? Yeah, I'm, I've been told I'm responsible for all the mistakes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rick Sun, one of the advisors here, has been in the league for a long time. You know, he said, you know, you take these jobs to get fired. So that day's coming. Uh, we hope that we can keep it here for, you know, a few years. But yeah, no, listen, um, the buck does stop with me. So you know, I, I deserve all the blame. I be the first to admit that I don't deserve any credit that we have. Hopefully, there'll be a lot of credit to go around to everyone. Uh, I'm a very inclusive person, but. Bad decisions that are made are going to be my fault, no question. And maybe the good ones you get some credit for, right? <laughs> yeah, those are group decisions. I, I'm not a, I don't need all the credit. <laughs> you know, when you're talking to, to, to Mike about, you know, building this team and, and where you want it to go, how, I guess, how in sync are your, your early sort of philosophies? Obviously, Mike was trying to do something with this team over the last few years. There was some success there over the last few years. Are you, have you found that your your sort of team building philosophies are matching up early on? Yeah, I think just more in general, um, the basketball philosophies are matching up because, you know, when you watch the way we've played in Golden State uh, and then you watch the way that Atlanta's played, you know, the ball movement, the shooting, the threes, um, I would think in general, you know, we're a little more up-tempo than Atlanta's been, but certainly I don't think Coach Bud is opposed to being that. So I think, you know, generally speaking, we're we're on the same page with, you know, how we see the team and how we uh, feel like, you know, the best way to be uh, a good team moving forward is. I would imagine, Travis, at least from, from afar, it looks like your your toughest decision or, or decision maybe moving forward might be that front court with Paul Millsap and Dwight Howard, two very good players, but both over the age of 30 and, and hearing you talk about, you know, wanting to avoid the, the bad contracts and the, 
the long-term stuff, that might be an, uh, uh, an area of concern there. What, do, what did you think of the, the Millsap-Howard you know, sort of pairing from what you saw of it last year and what you've studied of it now? And, and what do you think of the potential for it moving forward? Well, like you said, they're they're both really good players. You know, Paul's you know been All Star caliber for the last four years. You know, Dwight had of a bounce back season this past year, thirteen and thirteen. The Hawks, I think, were a top five defensive team. So certainly, they they could be successful together uh, with their Paul's ability to play out on the floor. You know, but you mentioned the age, and then, you know, they're both over 30, and, you know, how many more years do they have? And and that's what, you know, I have to sit down with the staff here and the coaching staff and really and really look at is, you know, how long together can these guys, guys be productive? Have you had conversations yet with Dwight Howard about where he stands with you with this team? Uh, I've talked to his agent a few times. I've had a few text messages with Dwight, but I haven't had the opportunity to sit down uh, face-to-face with him. You know, you've, you've got a chance to watch him, you know, from afar over the years. Uh, a polarizing guy, no question, but obviously still a very talented guy with what he can do. What's been your opinion of him over the last few years, watching him from either Houston to Atlanta to now? You know, the first thing that stands out, and you've seen him face-to-face too, is just how physically big he is. Um, you know, he's, he's a physical presence when you see him and he's really not that tall i think he's probably only six eight it's just how wide his his upper body is and his shoulders but that's the first thing so when he's in the lane and you know he he puts those elbows out uh, he he can really still control the lane with with his physicality that that's the first thing that jumps out when i think about dwight one of the uh, the best assets that you have, at least from a younger side of it, is Dennis Schroeder, who's a, a rising guy at the point guard position. Uh, how much have you studied him over the last few weeks or so? And, and I guess, again, same type of question, watching him from afar, what have you noted about him? Do you like him? What, what are some of the things you, you have a thoughts on? So the thing Dennis has been in here the last couple of weeks working out every day, which, you know, from afar I probably wouldn't have had that perspective, but the fact that that's happening, that's very encouraging. I think the thing that people don't realize about Dennis um, is how good of a defender he is. You know, he, he's not necessarily a steals guy. So when you look at all the metrics, maybe it doesn't show up, but he can really get in the ball and pressure the ball with his quickness. So that, that that's the thing from afar watching that I don't think the general public realizes. You know, obviously you can see the jump shots improving. Uh, his ability to get the rim, obviously, is, you know, at the top of the league with his quickness. But I, I think the general public misses is just how good of a defender he really is. Before I let you go, Travis, the um, you know, to get a job like this, you've obviously got to have a, a good sales pitch. You've got to have a good plan uh, to sell to the owners, I assume, anyway, uh, moving forward. I mean, what was your, your kind of sales pitch? Look, you know, with this roster, did, did they – ask you for any kind of timeline for success? Did you offer any kind of timeline? I mean, what were some of those conversations you had with ownership about what you saw as the future of this team? I didn't put a timeline on there because uh, I didn't want to tell them when they need to fire me by it. But, you know, certainly did say that, that it's a process. And in Golden State, like I said earlier, you know, when I got to the front office there, it, it took seven years from, you know, my first year in the front office to get to our first championship in Golden State. So it, 
you know, hopefully we'll be able to get to an elite level sooner than that, but it, it takes time. You know, you have to, like I said, get dr- lucky in the draft a couple of years, and we got lucky in the draft in Golden State, you know, three years in a row, really. Um, and then once you have your core young guys, that's when free agents start looking at your team. You know, Andre Iguodala, the first guy, we played them in Golden State in the playoffs when he was in Denver at Denver and that following summer, he was a free agent and he actually took less money to come to golden state from other teams. Cause he wanted to play with Steph and Clay and Draymond and those guys. So we need to get a young core uh, of guys that free agents are going to want to come play with. And that's really how you'd take the next step. You get in trouble using words like process, you know, Travis, <laughs> that's, that's trademarked. I think I don't think I can use that. <laughs> You know, this isn't, um, it's not necessarily a, a you thing right now because you're in the Eastern Conference and you're trying to, you know, take steps. But do you think that Golden State has changed the way, you know, general managers build their teams kind of with the knowledge that, you know, this Goliath is basically out there for probably the next four years and, you know, barring something significant changing might be untouchable? Well, you certainly take that into consideration. But uh, listen, if there was uh, Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal was in this draft, he would be number one, and then teams would have to start, you know, adjusting to play that guy. It just so happens right now the dominant team in the league is a team that puts a bunch of six eight guys on the floor, and they're skilled and they're running up and down the court. So if you know if you, your goal is to win a championship, you realize that that's the bar you have to get through. Uh, what's crazy about Golden State, and I don't think probably anybody in the general public would know this, but Draymond Green, who, you know, in crunch times playing center, he's actually the third shortest player on that roster. The only people shorter than Draymond on the team are Steph and Ian Clark. Everyone else is taller than Draymond, and he's, you know, arguably going to be the defensive player of the year, and a lot of that for his ability to protect the rim, which, you know, he's he's a huge cog to that machine. Yeah, it's incredible. It really is. Well, Travis, uh, congratulations on this job. I assume you won't be at the parade this week, but congratulations <laughs> on, you know, the championship out in Golden State that you were part of. Uh, as well. Good luck with with everything moving forward, and uh, we'll catch up down the road. All right, sounds good, Chris. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Mike Schmitz and Travis Schlenk for joining the show. As always, you can download archive podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, leave a comment, post a rating. You know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. (laughs) 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.